Good morning. Uh, thanks for being here today. My name is Pastor Evan. Appreciate you spending your Sunday morning with us. Uh, we're in Luke chapter 2 today, as Brittany just read. And uh, you can follow on the Pew Bibles. If you need a Bible of your own, feel free to grab one on our info table on your way out. I do want to just point out one thing. We are looking forward to uh, the opportunity for Liberty Kids to move upstairs uh, in the second floor. If you were here for the brunch last week, that's where it's going to be. But we really need to get that place ready. We also, though, need to be able to staff Liberty Kids. And so I just want to challenge you. Um, to th- there's multiple places where Jesus says he's present. And strangely, you know, he says that he's present with children. So if you're like, where's God? Where's Jesus? I never see him. Jesus says, hang out with some kids and I'll show you. And so uh, we are looking to just add about three more volunteers there. So I just want to challenge you to consider that. Think about that. If you need to talk to me, Pastor Kyle, you can fill out one of the cards in the pews and put them in the offering, basket, in the offering box on the info table, and we will uh, connect you with the right people. But we need about three more people. And I do want to particularly challenge parents. Because if you're using Liberty Kids, I'm also asking you to volunteer in Liberty Kids. All right, so if you're using it, please help out with it. So that's just me challenging you. A little bit of family business before we begin. Everybody good? All right, let's move on. Uh, I typically handle bedtime at our house. That's usually my job. I get all the kids to bed, and that's what I do. I don't know why, um, which somehow that ended up being my job. But I do, and I, and I enjoy it for the, for the most part. I really do. And, uh, you know, as you're getting kids to bed, there's always particular challenges that come up. But um, recently... I'm leaving my oldest son's room, and he stops me and asks me a question. And usually it's about sports or video games or something like that, and so I'm usually ready to respond appropriately. But he says to me, hey, Dad? I said, yeah? Hey, how can we see God and not die when the Bible says that if you see God, you will die? Great question. So naturally, naturally, I just, wait, just... (laughs) Naturally, I was like, Amanda! <laughs> no, I, I tried to answer the question. That's what you do as parents. You try to answer them as best you can, even though you don't have all the answers. But what he's asking about is Exodus 33. And in Exodus 33, God tells Moses that God will not go up with Israel into the promised land because Israel has sinned. And the people are clearly, they're very, very upset about this. They're, they mourn, they weep. So what Moses does is he intercedes on behalf of the people before God. And he asks God, and he begs God, and pleads with God, say, please, God, if you're not going to go with us, we're not going to go either. Like, I'm not going without you. And so God agrees in his grace to go with them. But he also agrees, as Moses asks for God to show more of himself, reveal more of himself to Moses. But when Moses asks to see God, God only agrees in part. Because he says, you cannot see my face For man shall not see me and live. Why? The reason God says that is because Moses and no human can withstand direct revelation from God because we're sinful. So Moses gets the opportunity to see God's back, which I had a nice discussion this morning with my kids about how God doesn't have a back. He's spirit. So it's it's trying to describe something like Moses saw kind of like God's passing, kind of like his shadow kind of behind him. He didn't actually see any really part of God. So Moses never sees God's face, but he gets to see God's quote-unquote back. 
And Moses actually, interestingly, even though he intercedes that God will go with the people to the promised land, Moses actually never sees the final product. He never makes it to the promised land, even though the people get to get, go to the promised land. So what my son was asking about was revelation. Not the book. We spent a series, a sermon series on the book, but he's not talking about the book. He's talking about this desire from God to reveal himself to humanity, even though we're sinful. See, the goal of this series in Luke is to give us renewed certainty in the covenant story of God, fulfilled by Jesus as Lord of all, so that we can take the freedom of the gospel to all. And what we're looking at is major themes. God's faithfulness, his love for the lost, and his vindication of Jesus. And today, we're going to see one more way where God proves himself faithful in that he reveals himself to you and me. That despite the fact that you're sinful, despite the fact that you mess up, despite the fact that your story may be filled with all ups and downs and bumps and bruises and struggles, God desires to reveal himself to you. Even though humans, were a mess, right? Just look at the news. We are a mess. God reveals himself to people. And Luke 2 today, we will see that. That Jesus is revealed to us. He reveals much about us and is revealed for us. That Jesus reveals to us that God fulfills his promises. And God reveals to us that Jesus is Lord of all. And that gives us a certain challenge to our hearts and what we think about him. And we're called to respond to that revelation in a certain way. So when you look at Luke chapter 2 verse 22 again. Look there with me. And when the time came for their purification, this is Moses, excuse me, this is Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. They're all coming to the temple. According to the law of Moses, they brought him up, Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him, Jesus, to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens, first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Holy there is the idea of being set apart for the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So what's happening here is what we saw last week. We've got to see Mary's faithfulness, Mary's devotion to God, her faithfulness in response to the angel's proclamation of the birth of Jesus. And since that point in chapter 1, John the Baptist has been born. That's Jesus' cousin and the prophet that will, and the messenger that goes before Jesus. Angels have announced the birth of Jesus to the shepherds. That's a real story. It's not just in Charlie Brown Christmas, right? It's a real story. And Mary and Joseph circumcised Jesus on the eighth day as God commands in the Old Testament. And here we again get a chance to see Mary and Joseph's faithfulness, their devotion to God. They come to the temple in Jerusalem. It wouldn't be that far from Bethlehem. They'd be able to walk there in a matter of hours, all right? And after Mary observed 40-day purification, which is a process that was given for women in Leviticus 12. So if you're a woman, you give birth to a child, you have to wait 40 days to become, quote-unquote, purified again before you're able to do this. So they, she does that, right? So she observes the 40 days, then she makes her way to the temple, and they bring their offering with them to the Lord, which is a poor or middle-class offering. So it gives us an idea of the state that Jesus' family was in. They're not rich, they're not powerful, they're poor or middle class. And also gives us an idea of who Jesus will reach, poor, middle class people. And they bring 40-year-old baby Jesus, 8 pounds, 6 ounces, baby Jesus, doesn't even know the word yet, 
as Talladega Nights likes to say. And they set him aside for the Lord, which is what was talked about in Exodus 13. But what we're meant to notice here is the devotion of the people who surround Jesus. Even Simeon and Anna, who we heard about, are also devout Jews, just like Mary and Joseph. And everyone around baby Jesus is devoted to God. So I, I know there's this, and this is for free today, I know there's this like evangelical impulse that we have to say like it's not about religion, it's a relationship, but Jesus is very religious. His family is very religious. They observe what the Jewish people were called to observe. They are devoted to God. So I understand why we say that, but it's not exactly accurate all the time. But everybody around baby Jesus is devoted to God. So parents, would that be the same for you? Are you prioritizing devotion to the Lord for your children? And are you surrounding your your children with other devoted, godly men and women? And so what we see here is that they're devoted and they surround themselves with devoted people. And so Jesus is revealed to us starting verse 25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout. Again, right? He's a devout person. He's waiting for the consolation of Israel. That's kind of a nationalistic instinct that they had, right? They were find out later that Jesus is not there to set up an earthly kingdom, but a heavenly one. But this is kind of what he's waiting for. Everybody was waiting for that, as we talked about last week. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death, before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for them according to the custom of the law. All right, so pause right there. What we need, you and I need, to actually be able to see Jesus is we need the help of the Holy Spirit. In Luke 2, it says that the Holy Spirit revealed Jesus, reveals this to Simeon that he would not, die before he saw the Christ child. In Greek, it's the word charismatizo, uh, which is kind of where we get charismatic from. It's reve- it means revealed, directed, instructed. So the Holy Spirit reveals, directs, instructs Simeon that he would not see death, verse 26, before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And so what we have here and what the Bible kind of talks about and theologians talk about is there's two types of revelation. There's general revelation and there's special revelation. General revelation is what everybody gets, that God reveals himself to us through nature and in our souls. Like there's part of our souls that kind of says something's out there, something bigger. There's something I want to, I want to explore, maybe I should explore. So Psalm 19, which won't be on the screen, says that the heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. It's essentially saying, what David's saying is, is essentially that when you look at creation all around, you look at nature, and you see the birds flying, you see the fish swimming, you see the sky and how big and vast it is, you look at the universe, something about it makes you consider there's an existence of a creator. There, that God is out there and that we should look for him. And God in his grace has done that for everyone. And there's So I said there's even something in our souls that long for God, but the specifics, which is special revelation about how to get to him, aren't found in nature or in your own heart. Those must be shown to you. So, for instance, I once drove with one of my friends, the king of Prussia, 
We were in a soccer league together, and I was really pumped because he wasn't a Christian. I was like, all right, we're going to have like 45 minutes in the car, and I'm going to share Jesus to him. And it's a beautiful, sunny day, and I'm kind of pointing out the sky, and, oh, man, how beautiful it is. He's like, yeah, it's awesome. And we're kind of driving on 76, and for the one time in our lives, there was no traffic. It was kind of a straight shot. And we're looking at the, the hills and the trees, and we're just talking about it. And I just get into this discussion about creation and about who created this stuff, and that was Jesus. And my friend, at one point, he looked up to the sky, and I remember this distinctly, and he looked up to the trees and the clouds, and he says to me, Evan, I look around, and I have no doubt God exists. But I'm not sure that God is Jesus. So my friend believed that there was a God just by looking at nature. He goes, there's got to be something there. Something inside of him stirred him up to look for God. That's general revelation. But he didn't believe the specifics of what I was trying to tell him to save him from his sin which is special revelation. Special revelation reveals God's specifics about salvation. And special revelation comes in multiple forms. It can come in theophanies, which we see in the Old Testament particularly. These are manifestations of God. So if you think about Exodus chapter 3, the burning bush, right? Moses sees God. He gets direct revelation. He gets special revelation from God in the burning bush. Or you get them through agents of revelation, so just hang with me for a little bit. We're going to walk through some, some theology right now. The agents of Revelation are, particularly in the Bible, right? you have Old Testament prophets and New Testament apostles. But you also can get, you, agents of Revelation can also come through spirit-empowered preaching or a prophetic word. But unlike the Bible, those things aren't God's word. They need to be consistent with God's word. They need to be anchored in God's word. But preaching and prophetic words are not on par with the Bible. So Simeon, what Simeon receives is special revelation from the Holy Spirit that he would not die until he saw Jesus. And he puts Simeon, the Holy Spirit puts Simeon in the right place at the right time and says, there's the Christ. Simeon doesn't get that by looking around at creation and looking around at nature and looking at people interacting. Something specific is told him, something special is told him, and the, the Holy Spirit points out, that's the Christ. In the temple, all these other people around, that's the Christ. Jesus is a special kind of special revelation because God himself is in the flesh in Jesus. That's what John 1 tells us. And he is now the one through whom God reveals himself. That's what Hebrews chapter 1 says. But we need the Holy Spirit to point him out to us. To bring him to us. Oh, sorry, bring us to him. So teenagers, young people, you and I can do all we can to point our friends, our teammates, and classmates to Jesus. And God wants to use you in that way. wants you to be faithful in that way. But it's the Holy Spirit that needs to point Jesus out to them. You can point them to Jesus, but the Holy Spirit has to open their eyes. So in some sense, the pressure is off of you. You don't have to have the best presentation. You don't need to know the four spiritual laws and walk them through it perfectly. But you just need to present Jesus before them and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal it. See, adults too, same thing. You and I, we don't need to have the best presentation of the gospel. We just point to Jesus 
We point him out. We show where he is to our friends, our coworkers, and our neighbors. And God wants to use you in that way. But it's the Holy Spirit that needs to make it real for people. Just like my friend. And so not only is, is Jesus revealed to us, Jesus reveals much about us. So if you look at verse 34, And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your soul also. So he's talking about when Jesus is going to be crucified there. But listen to this, So that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. What Simeon is saying by the power of the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, he's saying that Jesus is the litmus test for where you are with God. Jesus is. When the, now when the Luke uses the word revealed, he's using the word apocalypto, where we get the word apocalyptic from, or apocalypse from. It means to disclose, to make clear. Ancient apocalyptic literature makes secrets known. So what Revelation does, the book of Revelation now, we're talking about, it gives us, we talked about this when we went through the series, it gives us a heavenly behind-the-scenes look at what's happening on earth. And so Simeon says that Jesus will take what's secretive and make it known. He will take our hearts and the things we tell ourselves and the things we say on the inside, and he'll bring them out into the open on the outside because Jesus reveals much about us. He reveals whether or not our hearts depend on God. Do you depend on God or not? Jesus is the litmus test for that. Do you believe God or not? Jesus is the litmus test for that. Do you trust God's faithfulness or not? Jesus is the litmus test for that. What you believe about Jesus shows what you believe about God. And so he divides humanity. Jesus divides humanity in two. Those who believe in him and those who don't. By making what's in our hearts known. So it can be clear whether we depend on God or we don't. And God in his grace reveals himself to humanity in general revelation. He communicates with us through our world and through nature. But God goes a step further and puts it on our hearts to look for him. And then he goes a step further and gives us specifics about how to get to him in his son Jesus. But humans, us, in our sinful state, what we do with that truth is we either suppress it or we substitute it. So we, sometimes we suppress the truth. We see the things around creation. We hear the word of God, but we suppress the truth. So look at verse 18 of Romans 1. You don't have to flip there. It'll be on the screen. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and, all, and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness, what? Suppress the truth. God's constantly revealing himself to us. Constantly. And we choose to ignore God by suppressing his voice that's speaking all around us and to us. That's what we do. God's speaking all around you. But what we do is we crank up the radio of our lives to tune him out. We're like a child putting his fingers in his ears so they don't have to listen to their mom we plug our ears to God's voice. And so many of us go, where's God? How come I don't see him? The problem isn't that God's not talking to us. The problem is we're not listening. And we refuse to listen. 
we're all often so focused on what's in front of us that we don't see what's happening all around us and that God's majesty is all around us. Did you know that Americans check their phones 96 times a day? That's once every 10 minutes. Do we think we're going to see God if we're looking down every 10 minutes? God's talking all around us. His truth is all around us. So Augustine, a Christian in the third and fourth, sorry, the fourth and fifth century, said that all truth is God's truth. There's one God, and he's the author of truth, so that anything that's true comes from God. But there's often a certain brand of Christianity that tends to struggle with that, that tends to be skeptical towards all other truth. So think back to elementary school about your solar system project. Now, I know some of y'all, your parents helped you with that project. Like you couldn't tie your shoes, but all of a sudden you have a motorized solar system. I don't buy that one. But the rest of us who actually got the balls from Michael's and had to paint those foam balls and set them all up with, with hangers, think back to that time. Kids, you know now that the planets in our solar system orbit around the what? It's not a trick question. The sun. Right. But did you know there was a time when people believed that the Earth was the center of the solar system and that the planets revolved around or orbited around the Earth? And when it was first discovered, did you know that Christians denied it and they prohibited others from teaching it? See, what the Reformers taught in the Protestant Reformation taught that the Bible is a sole infallible source of authority for Christian faith and practice. It tells us about who God is and what God requires of us. And the Bible may not tell us that the sun is the center of the solar system, but it was never intended to do that. The Bible is not intended to be a science textbook. But it doesn't make it any less true that the sun is the center of the solar system. All truth is God's truth. So unless the teachings of science directly contradict Scripture... There, for instance, when science sometimes will say there is no God, whether it's science, history, data, psychology, or just a saying that your dad says, if it's true, it's true. And if it's true, it's from God. God gives us clues about himself all over the place, not just in the Bible. This is how beautiful and majestic and wonderful God is. It's not just the Bible where he shows us who he is and shows us truth. He shows all around us. Even in science, even in history, even in psychology. And that's God being gracious to us that he shows us and puts clues around the world for us to find. But humans, what we do, even Christians, suppress the truth. But we also substitute the truth. So you look at verse 25 of Romans 1. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worse than serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. See, what we do is we exchange the real God for fake gods. So we suppress the truth and we take the real God and we exchange it for some fake gods. So what we, have, what we sometimes talk about this is, what, uh, is idolatry. Sometimes what we do is we turn good things into ruling things. Or we turn good things and make them God things. And when we do that, we substitute truth with lies. And the problem in doing that is that we end up investing in things that aren't worth the investment. Because our God substitutes can't hold up under the pressure we put on them to be God. 
Like, I don't care what anyone says. I don't care how many more commercials I see about it. Coke Zero is nasty. (laughs) You can keep telling yourself it tastes good. You can keep telling me it tastes exactly like Coca-Cola, but we all know you're lying. It's an imitation of the real thing. So you might keep telling yourself that your kids are good gods, that your spouse is a good god, that your boss is a good god, and you should serve those things. You can say hard work is a, is a good god, or money is a good god, or my family's a good god. Or students, you could say your grades are good gods, or your friends are good gods. No matter how much you say that, none of those things will ever be able to withstand the pressure you put on them to be God. Your kids are your kids. I've said this a thousand times. They're sinners just like you. They're your kids. Stop making them your God. You're like, well, why aren't my kids changing the world? Because they're your kids and you didn't either. Because what happens is we invest into this God substitute that will eventually destroy us and them in the process. Do you know how much pressure that is on your children to change the world? To be God? You don't think it's going to crush them? Like we've gone from wanting to have good kids or the best for our kids to wanting to have the best kids. So much pressure there. Stop doing that to your children. They're not God. They can't be. Or you can say your grades are important because they are. But once they become your God's substitute, you become enslaved to getting an A. And if you ever get a B, you'll feel like you're of less value. Because the God of substitute, the God substitute of grades tells you a B student isn't good enough. You may have had teachers who told you that. Not good enough. You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. Money's a good thing. But if it's your God, you'll never have enough. Do you think like Elon Musk is good with the amount of money he has right now? keeps making more money. Everywhere I go, I see like a Tesla all the time. And so you'll never learn to be content and you'll be exhausted by the rat race. Everyone loves the substitute teacher. I remember I loved my substitute, this one substitute teacher in high school. He was funny. He showed movies all the time. He let us do whatever we wanted. But then somehow they gave him a full-time teaching job and he was terrible. Because he couldn't stand under the pressure of being a real teacher. God's substitutes will never be able to stand up to the, and under the pressure of being God. So what are those God's substitutes in your life? And Jesus reveals the thoughts of our hearts. He reveals what our God's substitutes are. He reveals how we suppress the truth and how we depend on other things besides God. And so Romans 1.20 says that we are without excuse. That we're doomed because of it. When we suppress the truth or when we substitute it for something else, we're doomed to experience God's wrath. So what God has to do then is give us specifics so we can get out from under his wrath. Because we brought judgment on ourselves. And so Jesus is revealed to us. If we looked at it in in verse 28 of chapter 2. Simeon took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples 
a light for revelation to the Gentiles, apocalypto again, and for the glory to your people Israel. God sent his son, Jesus, to reveal to us the way of salvation. Revealed to us the way out to get out from under God's wrath. This is the third hymn in Luke. Mary has a hymn. She has a song. Zechariah has a song. And now Simeon has a song. And Simeon in his song prophesies that Jesus is the light for revelation to the Gentiles, non-Jews. So now because of Jesus, God's family goes from being mono-ethnic to multi-ethnic, which is good news, right? Because I'm not Jewish. I'm standing in 21st century Northeast Philadelphia because God made this move. But this was God's plan all along. When you look at Isaiah 60, verses 1 through 3, it says that nations will come, all the nations will come to God's light. Malachi 1.11 says, my name, God speaking, says, my name will be great among the nations. Whenever you read the word nations in the Bible, it means ethnicities, saying all ethnicities will come to the light of God. No matter where your skin color, no matter what nation you're from, you have opportunity to come to God. He makes a way for you. And his name will be great and spoken from all ethnicities. It was God's plan all along to give special revelation to all the nations, all ethnicities, Jews and Gentiles, about how to be saved from his wrath on their sin. But Israel, who was supposed to be the, the light of the world, suppressed the truth and kept it for themselves, and they even worshiped God's substitutes. See, even God's people can get in the way of God sometimes. But God, unfortunately, walk, walks around us, gets around us, and breaks through our rebellion. And he gave, God himself comes in Jesus. See, this 40-day-old baby would become a 30-year-old man. And Jesus would take our sins of suppression and substitution to the cross and die for us. And he experienced God's wrath. And he experienced it as if he was the one who suppresses the truth. And he experiences it as if he was the one who served God's substitutes. And in that moment, God turned his wrath away from me and you onto him. See, Jesus was revealed by God for us so that you and I, who suppress the truth all the time, who serve God's substitutes, who deserve God's wrath through, by putting our faith in him, can now receive the forgiveness that our sins require and have peace with God and peace in ourselves. See, if we truly believe that Jesus has revealed for us, reveals much about us, and is revealed for us, we'd have peace like Simeon. Simeon is so certain of God's faithfulness in sending Jesus that even though, like Moses, he won't get to see the final product in Jesus being resurrected, unlike Moses who only saw God's back, he beholds the face of God when he holds the Christ child. And this gives him such an overwhelming sense of peace that he's ready to give up life itself. Like, think about that. He's been waiting his whole life for this. And finally the Christ child's here and he says, because I, have, I now know the Christ, life is pale in comparison. Everything else is just a poor substitute compared to knowing Jesus. So you and I can have that same peace 
when we acknowledge that we suppress and substitute the truth and we just give those things up and we behold the face of Jesus by putting our faith in him. And when we do that, we realize that even our lives are pale in comparison to knowing Jesus. So my question to you is, how will you respond to the revelation of Jesus? What thoughts are in your hearts about him? Are you suppressing the truth? Are you substituting it for something else? Is, Jesus, is beholding the face of Jesus enough for you? That even if life was taken away from you, and all things in life were taken away from you, knowing Jesus would be enough. Practically, though, all of us, we need to surround ourselves more with God's revelation. We need to stop looking at our phones 96 times a day. In my best times, I wake up in the morning and I don't even look at my phone. I go straight to my Bible and in prayer. My worst times, I pick up my phone, check the weather, check Facebook, see what people, if anybody tagged me in anything or talking about me or liked one of my posts or I go to Instagram or Twitter. But we need to spend time in exploring the truth in all areas of life. We also need to spend time in general revelation. Sometimes you just need to spend time in nature. Stop looking at your phone, stop watching TV and get outside and go for a walk or a hike or have a picnic or play in the snow and look up at the sky at night and go, wow, look how wonderful God is. And we need to spend more time around devoted followers of Jesus on Sundays at home meetings to spend for them to speak God's truth to us. Just like Simeon spoke God's truth to Mary and Joseph, we need people to speak truth to us, to reveal stuff to us that the Holy Spirit is saying to them. And we need to have our kids around devoted people. And Liberty Kids or Liberty Youth. Simple. But also we need to spend time surrounded by Scripture, which is God's special revelation. You need to immerse yourself in Scripture. Just take a Bible with you when you leave. Start reading in the Gospel of John. Start reading in Colossians or Philippians or Galatians. And study Scripture. There's a free Bible app. It's called Faith Life Study Bible. If you read something in your Bible, you don't understand it, grab your phone, look at the app, and then see if you can help you figure out what it's saying. I do it all the time, and I went to school for this. Or listen to lectures on Scripture. If you, go, you can find Reformed Theological Seminary. They have an app. And you can just listen to lectures from some of the smartest people on the planet about the Bible. And then you also need to surround yourself with Christ-centered, God, gospel-centered preaching. Christ-centered, gospel-centered preaching is where Christ and the gospel are the goals. Not you, like living your best life. And it's not that about them getting things from you. Catch my drift? There's a lot of preachers a lot of gospel, who claim they're preaching the gospel and all they want for you is to send them some money. Stay away from those guys. There's a lot of preachers out there who every sermon is about you living your best life. And again, if you're the God, if it's all about you, that's a lot of pressure, man. That's not true. Stay away from those guys. 
Surround yourself with that. I listen to five sermons a week. If you want to know those five people, I'm happy to share them with you. But trust the Spirit to point you in the right direction. So let's pray. And we'll continue our service. But I just want to challenge you. Surround yourself with God's revelation, general or special. And trust the Lord and the Holy Spirit to speak to you in those times. Let's pray. Hey, if you're here today uh, and you have never put your faith and trust in Jesus' special revelation, I do just want to give you a moment to just ask God for forgiveness for suppressing or substituting the truth. Say, God, I'm sorry. I've messed up. I've blown it. I have not been living the way I should be living. Just give it over to God right now. And for the rest of us, Father, we just ask that you would be with us. We thank you for the revelation of Jesus. We pray that we would continue to look for him in all areas of our lives. And we would trust you to show us the way and to point him out to us. We ask all this in his name we pray. Amen.